Welcome to the new Dalcrozian, the world's first podcast discussing the work of Emile Jacques Dalcroz as practiced in the 21st century. I'm Anthony Molinaro. And I'm Lauren Hudson. Today on the podcast, we've got Patrick Saria, who wrote a great book called Finding the Flow. You can email the podcast at thenewdalcrozian at gmail.com, or you can like us on Facebook. Don't forget to rate and review five stars. So, Lauren, uh, one of the early conversations that we had um, on this podcast and something we bonded about um, initially was talking about American public schools. And I know you're having some really great experiences right now in the public schools. I am. I totally am. Um, I was just telling someone all of the different names that I've been called. (laughs) So, you know, my name is Lauren Hodson. Um, I've been called Mrs. Husband. That's been good. That's a good one. Uh, Mrs. Hogskin. <laughs> That's a great one. <laughs> Love it. Um, it's a new one every day. But so the reason that I am in the public schools right now is that my um, many of our listeners have heard me talk about my master's degree. And part of this master's degree is getting a state licensure because my undergrad right. is not in education. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so I'm doing student teaching. I'm in uh, two placements in a middle school choir and an elementary school classroom with a um, teacher who's very Kodai based. And it's mm-hmm. been so fun to step into those environments with the experiences I've had right. and kind of like mesh those two together. Well, I want to so. go back for a second and talk about your yeah. name. Okay, because sure. this is this is crucial. Okay. okay, okay. So you know, my last name is Molinero, and yeah. um, and yeah, the well, especially when I taught in San Diego when I first started teaching, I only saw the kids once a week, and I was itinerant. I was in like seventeen schools or something like it was like mm. a, a bananas schedule. I'd be in like three schools every day, you know, and it was it was a lot it was a lot of traveling, and I would I would see a ton of kids, and and they. It was hard. Enough. I couldn't remember their names barely. I I, I got better at it, but they just sure. could not remember my name, and mm. forget Molinero. You know, way too many syllables, um, and so I just got into the habit of introducing myself as Mr. Mo. Yeah. Because, well, yeah. actually, that's what they. Uh, that's what when I was in school. Uh, my dad was the middle school music teacher where I went no to school. No way. I didn't yeah. know that. Mm-hmm. And they called my dad Mr. Mo. That's what they called him. <sighs> Got and it. I don't know how it started, but, and then, um, so when I, um, when I was in San Diego, I would just introduce myself as Mr. Mo. I'd be like, hey, my name is Mr. Mo. And they could remember it. It was nice. It was one yeah. syllable. Mr. Sure. Mo. And I, it's just become sort of a meme. It's like a thing now, you know, that that's, and I, you know, I kind of like the way that using a different name sort of puts me in a different mindset too. Sure, 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 sure. I, there's like a, there's something to that that Mr. Mm-hmm. Mo is different than Anthony Molinero. Like it's a different m- way of thinking. And, yeah. and I, um, I think I, I've gotten used to it. Um, and so it, it, it definitely has its advantages for a lot of different things, but I like the sort yes. of the taking of a different name, a little simpler name for the kids to be able to get their head, head around. So we need to think sure. of a simpler name for <laughs> Mrs. Hodson. Please submit your submissions yeah. <laughs> to uh, <laughs> the new Dalcosian. <laughs> we, we need to come up with a, a stage name for you or a classroom name. That's right. Well, and you know what's really funny is like we all wear many different hats, mm, right? Sure. As, as, as who we are as people, as teachers, as musicians. And um, this weekend, this past weekend, I was at the um, Ohio Music Educators Conference, which was so fun. And if you saw me there, um, it's good to see you. And... Uh, at this conference, I was walking around with someone and someone walked up to me and called me Professor Hodson because that's who I was to that person. I taught them last semester um, as, as a first year student at BW. Um, my students for the community arts school, what do you, your students call you for community music teaching? Is it also Mr. Mr. Mo? Mo? Yep. It I is just, Mr. Mo. Okay. I just got yeah. in the habit of doing Mr. Mo and yeah. that's just what I do. That's, yeah. you know, that's my thing. See, I'm Miss Lauren for community mm-hmm. community teaching. Yeah. And I think kids are so used to calling teachers by their last name. Like it feels very special to get to use mm-hmm. the first name. I will say it's also very Southern to say Miss First Name or Mr. First Name. 
it's definitely a, a southern thing so i don't know All right, so um, let's get to some uh, some mail here. So I got a great uh, bit of mail to read to you here. Um, this is from a uh, dear Dalcrozian colleague of ours. Um, so I'll read it. It says, uh, it is such a breath of fresh air to hear the two of you talking about sources for Dalcro's teaching without ever being pedantic or judgmental. Mm. For anyone listening, Dalcro's folks or not, there was a wealth of possibilities sent out that can add to teaching. I know you were mostly addressing how to teach children, but... The sources can also be used for adult classes as well. We all get a bit stuck in doing what we already know or have done before, and this can move folks to new horizons. I also mm-hmm. enjoy the interview with John Feyerabend. He's a charmer, isn't he? Uh, I've always found him to be very thoughtful about music and movement. His compendium of short works of classical music, I guess it's all available on CD or something more modern, uh, are a real gift. And it was great to hear you praise your praise of Ann Farber's songs and the book of them. Anthony, it's true. The book mostly doesn't say much about how to use the songs. And I think that's to its credit. Leave it up to the teacher to discover how to use these gems. And just so you know, the book came about when the Farber family and the local New York, New York Dalcros chapter decided to throw a party in Ann's honor. And the book was presented then. Ann's pieces were all hand notated manuscripts, which those of us who studied with her had come to love. Aaron Butler and I spent hours hours with Anne compiling this, these works, which was fun for all of us. Then Aaron single-handedly converted every one of these onto Finale or Sibelius, frequently checking with Anne about details. Mm-hmm. He also had it put into a book form through Amazon, organizing the songs by season in piano pieces, solo and duets. He deserves 95% of the credit. Mm-hmm. So later, Anne was honored at the DSA National Conference in New Haven. It meant so much to her, the family, and to all of us. Thank you so much for alerting me to your podcast. I'll subscribe and sure, give it five stars it deserves. <laughs> Happy New Year, Cynthia Lilly. Oh, oh Cynthia Lilly. thank you, Cynthia. Yeah. Oh, so that was a, comments. a good bit of background there on the um, on Aaron Butler being the one who compiled yeah. that Ann Farber volume. Mm-hmm. Um, so we should give him his due credit. We didn't say it in the, uh, I think I said something about the New York chapter, but I don't sure. believe I gave Aaron Butler his due credit on That's that. That's right. So, so kudos. Thank you, Yes, Aaron, Aaron cheers to you. That. Bravo. It's, uh, Huzzah. Yes. It's, it's <laughs> my favorite book to use. Uh, and, uh, and I never got to study with Ann Farber. I never, you know, she was um, not somebody I got to get, got to know at all. But in that book, I feel like I got to at least benefit from some of her wisdom. listener and you want to know how to help us me and anthony on the podcast you can go straight to where you listen to podcasts and rate and review us and please give us five five stars stars. you know we can't stress it enough the that's right the the that is such a help to the podcast if you rate and review and subscribe to the podcast it is such a help to support the efforts that we're making to you know bring this uh dalcross related content uh, to the international community we have uh, Mm -hmm. uh we're very proud of the reach of this podcast and if you could just help us out by giving us one a a five star rating and uh leave us a nice review it really does help to spread the word so next weekend, there's a, a in-person uh, <gasps> Eurythmics event at Carnegie Mellon. Awesome. Um, by the time we post this episode, it'll probably be this weekend. That's uh, right. <laughs> so if you're in Pittsburgh, you should, uh, if you're in Pittsburgh, you should come to the Carnegie Mellon. What are the weekend. dates again? It's on the 19th and 20th. Okay, of February, February. Mm-hmm. 2022. Very yeah, good. That's yes, that's that's when it is, and it's at Carnegie Mellon University. Um, I'll be there. I'll be doing a teaching demo, um, mm. and people can watch and uh, catch uh, the drift of what I'm doing. Um, but I'm really looking forward to being there and being able to uh, invite people to listen to the podcast. Uh, so if I met you at the uh, Carnegie Mellon weekend and you're listening to this podcast, uh, help us out. Give us a rating and a review. Subscribe to the podcast uh, and become a um, 
regular listener of the podcast. We'd appreciate that. So, Lauren, um, I know we were talking uh, a little bit about your uh, student teaching experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And, um, you know, so this is the the topic of today's uh, podcast is about tackling issues in public schools. Um, We have have a great interview with Patrick Saria to share with you guys in a minute. But, um, you know, Lauren... What are you what are you finding out? What are you learning in your time um, in in public schools that might be useful to us? What's what's what kind of challenges are you seeing? Mm, well, <laughs> I think we could have much longer than a uh, than this short podcast to talk about it. But you know, I, I think there's um, there's a lot to consider when you're teaching many children every day and, and to not really know necessarily their family or where they're coming from. I think in community arts settings that I've taught in, at least, I see the parents bring their children to class. So it's a very much like, okay, Johnny, take off your shoes. Okay. All right. There you go. I'll see you in 45 minutes. And this is kind of, um, you know, the children come into the classroom carrying with them their whole life and that whole day and anything that had happened that day. And not to say that doesn't happen in community arts schools, but I guess what I'm trying to say is you have to be aware of what they're bringing into the room. And you have to acknowledge that um, even if you've built a relationship with them, there is such a diversity of people in one single room. How do you teach in a way that acknowledges and celebrates the diversity of opinions and and experiences and all of that and still make music through movement in a meaningful way that everyone is comfortable with and and all of that. And I'll tell you too, like my um, teaching placement, these students are beautiful singers. They have such a great teacher who has imparted such great musical knowledge with them. They have never been asked to move in the way that I am starting to start to get them yeah to move. I mean as somebody who teaches both in sort of a community art school and public school setting kind of simultaneously I do echo a lot of what you're saying that you know the the um, connection that you have with the families in the community art school is a, a lot closer although you know in a public school it's it's um, after you've been there a while, I think, you know, walking into the situation that you're walking into. That's true. That's true. I know my co-op teacher has a lot more connection with the family. Yes. You get to know, you get to know, you get to have their brothers and their sisters later years. You're like, okay, I know this story here. And, you know, and and it doesn't take too long to kind of get a sense of of that, but you're right that there's a great, and even if you know what the diversity is, there's a Mm -hmm. lot of diversity in what you're doing. And I've always sort of been a, a proponent of the Dow Crow's work strength in um, this sort of, uh, you know, teaching in, in, in a diverse setting, because I find that the be- one of the beautiful things about the Dow Crow's work is that there, uh, it, you can have many students working on the same activity, but they're working on different levels. They're working on different things. And, yep. you know, uh, one student, I even I made a remark the other day because there was a, an adult in my room, which there rarely is. Um, but there was an adult who was like an aide who came with another student. And mm-hmm. and I had one student I was doing, you know what? I was doing the activity that I uh, presented at the uh, virtual weekend. I was doing yeah. Super Do Re Mi, which if you were sure. at the Delcro's virtual weekend, you saw this activity. And I was doing the part of the activity where I take the, a, a song and we sort of do a... Um, a, a um, dictation really of yeah. the song in solfege, but using movement. It's really, I like it. It's a really sure. cool thing. But, sure. um, and I had a couple of students who were just like, you, sh- you saw their eyes lighting up because they were realizing, I know what that is. They mm. heard this little passage and they were like, I know what that one is. And they did the motion and it was so wonderful. And then there was a kid in the corner who was not 
getting that at all. I mean, yeah, he just sure, was like sure. not, but you know what sure. he was getting? He was getting that there was a rhythm to it because in the mm-hmm. song, dun, dun, all of a sudden he was kind of latching onto that rhythm and you saw him stepping to that rhythm and you saw him yeah. starting to move to that rhythm and kind of latch onto that. So he was thinking of something totally different than I had thought of. And the other kids who were doing what I kind of was intending them to do, they yeah. were getting a great experience too. And there was another kid and I was just glad that he was sit, standing still and paying attention, you know, and he mm-hmm. was like engaged mm-hmm. in the class and following along and singing the song with us. Even yep. though he wasn't getting exactly what I was trying to get him to get. The, sure. the down crows, that opening up the classroom in that way, it, it allowed for all of those children to 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 latch onto it in their way, which mm-hmm. I thought was mm-hmm. really was really a powerful moment. And I remarked to this adult who was in the room, I was like, "Do you see that? You see what they're doing?" Yeah. And uh, I always have those moments of wanting to like show someone or tell someone or ha- be like, "Do you see that? Can you tell? You know, can you tell what's happening?" It's it's funny. I've been trying to as much as possible. COVID's made it difficult, but to find opportunities to do demo lessons for the school board, to do demo lessons for the PTO, to do, you know, to do a little bit of lobbying, so to speak, to make sure that, you know, that uh, there's communication going on that says, you know, look, what we're doing is different and special. Hello, we're doing something different and special, you know, and I think that that's been helpful. But it's still supporting like everything that you are talking about yeah. in class, right? More like, so, more so than they think. And that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. More, more so than they think. More that's so right. than they think. Right. When they think of a music class, they, they, they might picture something mm-hmm. totally different. And when they see or get to experience what I'm doing or what the Dalcro's work is offering, really, you know, I think mm-hmm. that they start mm-hmm. to open up their mind. Whoa, this is actually a lot heavier than I thought. And, um, you know, so, Absolutely. so my Dalcro's uh, public school teachers out there, uh, you know, that I think we've got some real strengths. And I think we're going to find that in this interview with Patrick, um, that the Dalcro's yeah. work contains a lot of solutions for public school teachers and the public school you know, system. Um, and um, Absolutely. I, hope, uh, uh, I hope people listen. So uh, let's play the interview with Patrick. Patrick is a New Jersey-based musician, educator, and Dalcro's Rhythmics teacher, and he earned his Dalcro's Elementary Certificate from the Juilliard School in 2007 and has spent the last 14 years teaching and working with varied populations of students. It was really great to talk with him, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. So Patrick, uh, one of the, I mean, a question we usually kind of start people off with, I think it's like kind of unique to the Dalcro's practice is g- give us like your origin story as far as like how you came into the practice. How did it happen for you? We all have our story. Yeah, it's, um, well, it's to- it was, I have to, I'll be totally honest and upfront. It was completely by accident. Um, <laughs> like it really was. And, uh, so I was a I was a percussion major in college, and when I got out of college, I um, I got lucky in that I worked as a touring drummer for about eight years. And then when yeah, I, heard, ended, I remember this. What, what what was the name of the band that you played in? The name of the band was Fossil. So I spent a uh, you know a good portion of my of my post college youth hunkered down in the in the East Village of New York. Well, what years yeah. was this? This was in the in the early nineties. Okay. So like 91, 92. Not like, not like the heyday of like, the, no. of like CBGB's punk scene, which no. would have been more like the eighties and the late seventies. Yeah. It's weird though. I just, my daughter and I were just in, in New York while she was home from college and I, and I took her and my son over to what was CBGB and now it's like some high end clothing store. No way. Which just breaks my heart. You no. know. <laughs> yeah, that's the opposite of what it should be, right? <laughs> So you were touring and doing this thing and then, and then by accident, what happened next? Yeah. So, um, my wife and I, uh, got married like right at the tail end of my playing career and you know, you come off the road and, um, I was just like, now what am I going to, you know, now what am I going to do? And our son was born, he was young, a little guy at the time. And, um, 
I took him to a parent-child music class, and um, I came home and I said to my wife, uh, you know, I think I could kind of come up with my own program. And she was like, um, she's very cool and very patient. She was like, yeah, then do it. So <laughs> I, I wrote this, this curriculum, came up with all these ideas, and we opened a small little studio in the fall of 2003. Mm -hmm. And um, I was doing the classes for a year, and uh, the name of our program is, is uh, Tumble Jam. Tumble Jam. And, Tumble um, Jam. It's a great yeah. name. I, I, read it in your, I read it in your book, Tumble Jam. I was like, that's a great name. I'm jealous. Yeah. We used to make uh, cute little shirts for the kids that said, I jam, therefore I am. Oh, geez. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> genius. It's genius. <laughs> but it. so that Tumble Jam was running for a year. And then the, you know, like the summer came and that's when kids go and do their camp stuff and everything. So I said, well, I'll... I want to do something to just try and keep the program fresh. And I, you know, jumped online and was like, came across Eurythmics. And I started reading about it and I was like, wow, this seems very cool. And um, there was a three week workshop at the Juilliard School that summer. I signed up for the three week workshop and I, again, I had no clue as to what Eurythmics, <laughs> I had a very surface knowledge of it. And, um, walked in to that first day, the, the workshop was being run by Bob, the late Bob Abramson, mm. um, who became my Eurythmics teacher ultimately. But, um, I walked in and again, I just didn't know what to expect. And so I sat down and I'm taking my shoes and socks off and all of a sudden Bob Abramson walks over to the piano and starts playing this like beautiful sweeping piano piece and all these barefoot people jump up and were moving around the room. And I was like, what the heck is this? You know, it was, <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Uh, but it was unbelievable. And I, you know, all of a sudden, just in that first day, you know, and again, I was a percussion major. I walked out of that room and I was like, I have never felt a four, four time like that in my life. I've never experienced a quarter note like that in my life. You know, why wasn't I taught solfege this way? for four years of college, like it, nothing was the same. And by the end of that three weeks, I was like, everything changed. So like the way that I listened to music, the way that I taught it. Um, and then the rest is history. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's yeah, like a yeah. unique, uh, that's a unique uh, origin story. I, you know, I, I haven't heard that one Lauren before. It's usually not, that's not usually what it is. Usually it's, Somebody took a class because they had to take the class and they didn't know what it was. Right. And then yeah. they were like, wow, this is actually great. But I've never seen somebody in our community anyway, just came off the street. And I, yeah, that's literally what and it was. Took, and took to it like uh, Patrick. I, that's really interesting, Patrick. I didn't know that about you. And see, this is why I like to start with that conversation. I just learned a lot. Yeah. You yeah. know, and it's so funny too, because, you know, my family, a lot of my family and stuff, um, are not musicians and, and you know so we I, they would you know it'd be at family gatherings or and um people would be like you know what have you been up to and i'm like well i'm i'm really getting into this thing called eurythmics and everybody's immediate response is like well like annie lennox <laughs> we were just you know? talking we were just talking about her we're trying to get her on the podcast yeah if man. anybody knows annie lennox we'd like to have her on the podcast somebody needs Let to reach know. out uh and, 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 and then she's she studied eurythmics at in London, right? Right. Well, yeah. I mean, so. that's what I want to talk to her about. She needs to come on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Annie Lennox. I'm putting out the call right now. Who knows her? Somebody knows Annie Lennox. Somebody has to. I'm right? putting it out in the universe oh. right now. I need her on the <laughs> that's podcast. Right. Oh. So, Patrick, um, can you tell us a little bit about where you are now, um, where you teach, who you teach? Yeah. So, that? well, you know, it's funny how I ended up where I teach now comes back to uh, what we were just talking about. So when I was, I had earned my, my certificate, or I was in the process of mm -hmm. studying for my certificate, and I was, it was a, it, I was going into New York and splitting my time between um, teaching my little classes and going into New York. And one day, um, a woman came into the studio and she said, I have a son who has a diagnosis of PDD-NOS, and I didn't know what that stood for. And she said, um, we've tried other music classes and he hasn't taken to them or they don't know what to do with him. And she said, it's, it's very frustrating because he loves music. 
And so I said, yeah, bring him in and you know, let him try one of, one of our classes here. So um, I, turned, I went out and just did some basic research of what PDD NOS was, and it, it stands for Pervasive Developmental Delay Not Otherwise Specified, which is mm. a sensory-based delay. Some people say it's, uh, it's part of the autism spectrum, but some people say it's a separate sort of spectrum of its own. Um, but he came the next day with his mom and, um, you know, again, this is, was really my first sort of really blown away. I was always blown away by Eurythmics, but I, this little guy came in and I think just based on what I had garnered from the basic Eurythmics work I had done allowed me to kind of move and, uh, maneuver myself along with him and what he needed. Needless to say, he loved the class. And he signed up for it. And then by virtue of uh, him and his mom, the people that she knew in that, in that orbit, uh, a lot of other special needs children started to come to the classes. And then um, one day a guy walked through the door and he said, I'm an occupational therapist. I heard about what you're doing here. Do you want to work together? Hmm. So that began cool. a really wild process. Um, three years, the three years that I was working on my certificate, I started working with this therapy group as well. It was a group of occupational, physical, and speech therapists. And we were doing all this cool stuff with um, not only children with sensory delays, but kids with physical disabilities as well. Mm. And then but through that work, I got a phone call from um, the school district where I, where I am now. And it's a, it's a, it's a county school district. Um, and what we do is we provide special and alternative education services for um, kids in all public schools in the county and even mm. some kids out of the county mm. um, but I teach in a sc one school for children on the autism spectrum uh, a, a second school for kids with physical or developmental disabilities and then a middle slash high school for um, at-risk students with um, emotional and some social classifications so it's kids that that population is kids who um, are coming a lot of inner city kids who have troubled home lives or have been in a juvenile detention facility. Um, some kids who have anxiety and depression. So, mm. um, but I, I'm just, for me, uh, I know if I didn't have my Eurythmics background, I don't think I'd be able to pivot from all these different populations. I think Eurythmics has given me yeah. the ability to kind of work with all these different types of kids, you know. Absolutely. So to answer your question, that's where I teach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that, that's really informative. That's helpful. And um, we're going to talk more about um, your book later in our conversation today. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's helpful to know that context. And that's amazing that you are able to reach all those different populations and be able to fall back on the training that you've had and say, yes, this is helping me do that. Um, so that's, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, and to speak to a little bit of the, the you know, some of the advantages that a, a, someone with Eurythmics training would have navigating that is, you know, there's a, a, a multimodal sort of holistic approach to things in general that a Eurythmics teacher is thinking about um, that is, you know, allows us to have some flexibility in a moment to, to change and fit the needs of a student you know, on their level, it's, you know, I think your, your rhythmics training is, you know, more, more than just, Hey, a set of movement activities that you can do, which is helpful as well. It's good to have sure. that. I think sure. there's just an, uh, an instinct for a multimodal thinking that I think would come, that, that you probably benefit from. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, like I, I kind of say, I tell people all the time, like I could create a lesson plan for my, um, autistic students and with very little tweaking and adjustment take that same idea and bring it to my physically disabled kids mm -hmm. and have the same results with it because I think Dalcro's kind of teaches you to like you said Anthony to you don't just look at it you know something singularly you know mm -hmm. like I like I said before, like the thing that blew me away off the bat was, you know, like who would have, you know, for me sitting in solfege class in college, you were sitting in a chair, you know, <laughs> yes. you know like all of a sudden I know your rhythmics and it's like, who thought solfege could be taught, 
you know, while you're moving. Yeah. And, and so that's, that's something that I still am inspired by with Eurythmics. Like there's more than one way to do it. I want to jump back real mm -hmm. quick. And I think it might be kind of fruitful because actually I'm really interested in it too. Is like your, your teacher, Bob Abramson. I never met him. Apparently he's a legend in the community. His reputation precedes him, you know, and his, his teaching tree <laughs> yeah. is, you know, fantastic. And, um, you know, uh, and there's a story in the book that you, that you tell that really, I mean, I, I was like, it was a, a big revelation to me. He talked about, he asked you something about um, what was your favorite type of art or your favorite way to express oh, art. Yeah. And then like, you know, people are you know, throwing out different things. And then he said, no, well, mine's teaching as a teaching artist. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's exactly yeah. what I needed to hear right now in my life. And uh, so I, I, don't, I just wonder if you talk a little bit about Bob and what your, uh, you know, sort of experience with him was. Yeah. I mean, by the way, that was my reaction too when he said that. You know, like I'd never thought. Yeah, exactly. Of it like that before. I always kind of thought you know? in my mind, I think somewhere in my mind at this point in my life, I feel a little bit like instead of pursuing my art, I'm decided to pursue teaching yeah. and like, yes. you know, I had to make this decision as, as, as you come from too. I mean, I had a background playing with bands, performing, doing the whole thing. And, um, you know, I've sort of like now dedicated myself fully to teaching and, you know, but to have it framed that way, I was like, that yes. is, it was so, uh, thank you for that. Yep. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny because uh, people in the New York Dalcros world who Bob Abramson has kind of like a, mm. he was a great teacher, but had a little bit of a reputation as a tyrant as well. But, um, mm. <laughs> I, I, uh, I was really blessed and lucky in that when I began studying with them, I think I got... Bob Abramson 2.0, where he had, he was a, he was an amazing teacher. He was very, mm -hmm. yes, he was harsh and, you know, demanded a certain level, but he was just a really sweet guy. Um, and I got, I, I got lucky in that regard because, um, you know, for me, I, I had three or four years where, um, he was just, you know, I learned he was a powerhouse. Like he, like, like you were saying, Anthony, he just, he just, gave me perspective and meaning to, to things that, you know, I never thought about before. He just had the ability to present music in a way that always made you think, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. there's so many things that he taught me that I still use, you know? Like he said, your name is a piece of music. Like he had us come into class and you would have to come to class that day with five different ways of moving your name, <laughs> you know? And he would mm -hmm. make you think, you know, like, well, your name isn't just Patrick, you know, it could be Patrick or it could be Patrick, you know? <laughs> so it's like, he would do things like that and you would apply it to music. It was, he was really, he was just a really cool, innovative guy, you know? Yeah. So. Well, it reminds me that we are all inherently musical. Yeah. Like in thinking about, I did this project on um, improvisation and in, we inherently as human people want to create and make meaning from what we have created. Yeah. Um, so that just reminds me a little bit of that. Before we go any further, I wanted to, Anthony kind of mentioned this already, but we're here today. One of the reasons we wanted to have you on was to talk about the book that you have um, self-published. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and this book is called Finding the Flow, How Dalcro's Eurythmics and a New Approach to Music Education can improve public schools. Yeah. So this is this is really exciting to have this book. I'm <laughs> holding it right now. Um, we we got some copies to read before seeing you today. Um, that's right. We're on Zoom, we're holding it up. See, I even put tabs oh, in see, it. Wow, I really read cool. it carefully. I couldn't find my tabs. I was like, oh, I should be putting tabs oh. on this. But I was like, oh, never mind. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's so great, Patrick, to see. Um, you know, someone who is is putting these thoughts down into the, into writing for people to pick up and read and relate to. Um, and uh, I, I wanted to know what what made you want to start writing this book? I, I know you said you started in 2014, I think you said in, in your book. What yeah. made you want to start writing this book? Well, you know, it's it, what happened was just over the, the course of time, like working with the kids that I do, um, I, I just, I have a lot of friends who are teachers as well. And just talking to um, friends who 
don't teach in, in districts like mine, but work in like typical public school districts or a, or a private school or whatever. And they would all say this, they would, they knew about the populations of kids that I work with. And they would say to me all the time, you know, like, um, there's every year, there's more and more kids with diagnoses or classifications coming into my classroom, you know, and these are not, these were, uh, non-music teachers, you know, um, and they would say, I, you know, I just don't, I don't know what to do. You know, like, um, sometimes I'm just frustrated because I don't really know what to do and mm -hmm. it can be overwhelming. And, um, and then I, the district that I'm teaching now, I actually left for uh, a time period because I went and took a job teaching in an inner city public school in Newark, New Jersey. And I taught in a K through eight school mm. and, um, I left eventually cause they cut, they cut their music program, of course, oh. cause that's what they do. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, oh, man. but, um, I, uh, in that, the time lapse between when I left Newark and came back to where I teach now, I worked as a substitute teacher in my hometown. And one day I write, I write about this in the book where I, um, they knew about my experience working with special needs kids. So oftentimes they would place me in a self-contained class of sure. autistic children or whatever. Um, and one day I was in a self-contained class and the, the class had music class mm. and I, I went down to music with this, with the kids. And I, I asked the music teacher if I could stay with the class. And, um, I didn't tell him that I was a music teacher. <laughs> I just kind of wanted yeah. to see what he did, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, um, so here he was this, you know, and he was a, a, a veteran teacher. Um, and here he was, you know, with these 11 or 12 kids on the autism spectrum. And I just mm. felt so bad for him. Like mm. he didn't know what to do and it wasn't his fault. Um, it wasn't because he was a bad teacher or whatever. He just didn't know what to do. And so, um, I told him later, I went down there later and I, I, I came clean. <laughs> I said, look, I'm, I'm a music I teacher. A and I work with these populations of kids. I don't know if you would be willing to, you know, and he was so, he was like, Oh my God. And I ended up talking to this guy for quite a while, went back mm -hmm. with him at the end of the day. And, um, I was just telling him some things and stuff. And he said to me, like, where did you learn all this stuff? And I said, it's all Eurythmics based stuff. Hmm. And he was just like, you know, he had had some Eurythmics training, but he was like blown away. He was just like, I went, you know, like, I wish I, I knew more of this stuff. And so it was experiences like that, just hearing um, music teachers, like this guy I was talking to, classroom teachers, I began to think to myself, Oftentimes people are asking me like, where do you come up with these ideas? How do you do this stuff? I was just like, somebody needs to tell everybody the world, <laughs> you know, that, listen, there's this great technique out there or method of teaching that is not only applicable for music teachers. And in today's student populations, you know, that yeah. I cite some data in the book, you know, right now. It's uh, I think it's 14% of the American public school population is special needs kids. It's, it's like 7.3 million kids. Yeah, I remember someone telling me that um, figure before I saw it in your book, too. And I was like, wow, that's that's a lot. That is a, a large percentage. Um, yeah, it really yeah. is. And so if you had to, um, you know, there's so many things that your admics could um could be useful for teachers, but if you had to say very specifically, just like four or five things, what would be those techniques that all teachers could use in a way that is, that is meaningful? I mean, for the first thing I think is don't, you know, the, the thing that drives me crazy today is, and I think I said this in the book is, and it's through no fault of their own for teachers. But the opening, the four opening words of every teacher is, okay, everyone sit down, you know? <laughs> and yep. so like yep. today, there's so many kids coming in who, you know, have an ADHD diagnosis or um, a physical disability of some kind, you know, mm -hmm. begin the day, start the day, start your class standing up. Mm -hmm. And if there are kids with physical disabilities who can't stand up, that's okay. Um, you can move your hands up and down, but begin the, begin your class with movement of some kind. It just, it helps, it helps you and it helps the kids 
Um, you know, one thing that I, I use it for is, especially early on in your school year, you begin with some kind of a movement exercise. It's going to give you immediate insight into who's in your class, mm-hmm. who's shy, who, who can't just move in one spot, you know, who's maybe got some muscle tone issues, whatever. Um, it's a great way to kind of get a, you know, a sound check as to what's going on in your classroom. Um, so a movement thing is great. You know, um, the second thing is, you know, despite how prepared you are, your, how great your lesson plan is, it's going to get messed up. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> so be ready to improvise. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's a good yeah. the story in the book that, uh, that I loved, um, what, that I would totally related to was the one you talked about, um, what was the guy's name Tyrell? Uh, oh, was yeah. a student and uh, uh, that you had, and that you know you were having a class that wasn't going particularly well. There was another one that was a young lady you were talking about as well. That uh, oh yeah, uh, Tom, well in the book I, I it's not her real name, but yeah. it's, it's okay, Tanya. Tanya. Okay, yeah. So <laughs> and I told I mean these are stories out of my life for sure. Like as when I taught in, in an inner city school, it's exact. I was like oh my gosh, and I was like preach. This is exactly what I, I've seen happen. Yeah. But the way that you were flexible and the way that you read the situation improvised a solution based on the, the abilities of the students, that what they were able to do. Like this is like, yeah. I think uniquely Dow Crozian, right? It's like this idea that you're evaluating yeah. the students and then uh, on their gifts and what they can do. And then you're starting there and you're like, this is something yeah. that they will do. This is something they can do and we can harness that. And I don't know. I mean, I, I right. think is that that's something that, to me, struck me as a, as that I learned in the Dalcos class. Yeah, it's true, right? Because that <clears throat> excuse me, that moment is, you know, that class was. I'll never forget those kids. You know, like mm-hmm. that was just a class of kids who were. The school in Newark where I taught is is in a very very tough neighborhood, yeah. and there's a ho- a housing project behind, directly behind the school. That's just a really difficult place to grow up and that's where a lot of the kids came from. And so they were coming to school with just so many, um, different issues and things. And, you know, they, the, just to try and get them to, to be a class was a difficult undertaking. And in the book, I talk about this girl, Tanya, who she, everybody listened to Tanya. There's always that one. <laughs> they didn't listen to, they didn't listen to me. They listened to Tanya. And so, yeah. um, instead, at first I was very mad about that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. It's natural. Well, yeah. Right? So the thing is with your, your Tanya or mine was another girl. I'm not going to say her name, but they, but they, that like you get into a thing where like you're trying to oppose them and that yeah. is not going to work, man. You got to no. get them. You got to no. get them. You got to get them on your team. And if you get them on exactly. your team and you're collaborating yeah. with that student who's a leader, then you then you really have something. But if you, you're not going to yeah. win, they're going to win every time no. if you try to fight. You, it, 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 you just can't do it. No. Nope. <laughs> and you know that mo- it was so funny because I was Bob Abramson called it a power struggle. And I was mm, in a yep. power struggle with that yep. group of kids, you know, like, yep. and I, they, that moment had like that class threw me out of my, my game. And I went into class every day and was somebody I yeah. wasn't like, totally I was, scre- I was screaming at kids, mm, yeah. you know, like I'm totally not a screamer good. and kids are smart and they picked up on the fact that I'm not a screamer. So they would laugh yeah. at me, you know, oh, oh, yeah. so, which so, makes it so oh much gosh, better. Just, just, I told, so relate but, to this. <laughs> So, but going back to this idea of flexibility, this was something came up for me recently, again, back to my topic of improvisation for those oral exams that I had to do for my graduate degree and the faculty that I was presenting my, you know, top, my, um, my project with, they said, well, how would you change teacher education in order to, um, help them to be more flexible in the moment? And because, um, teacher people in these pre-service teacher programs are required to make these very specific lesson plans with you know objectives and assessments of how you're going to measure those objectives but then and then teach those those lessons to their peers in a classroom where their peers are very well behaved do everything they ask them to do 
But how do you create an, a supportive, safe environment for them to take risks and to be flexible? And the benefits that the students get out of you following them and being with them and celebrating what they're bringing to the table and not just Im- imposing your lesson onto them. Yeah. Right. It's um, true. Yeah. So, um, so you've mentioned beginning with movement of some kind and flexibility of the lesson yeah. plan. Were there any other things you wanted to add into there that would be kind of for not just music teachers, but if all teachers had some type of Dalcros or, or Eurythmics training? Yeah. You know, I, the thing that reading a lot of, uh, Dalcros's work that, you know, that he, I love his book, um, music rhythm and education. Like mm-hmm. that's just an unbelievable book. But, um, the thing that he always t- talks about is how it's, there's a lot of different personalities and, you know, he, he says that, um, and I use the quote in the book, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase it, but sure. he said, you know, a child really can't learn anything or do anything until they really understand um, who they are inside, until they understand mm. their own sort of, you know, their own body, their own movement, their own thoughts, their own ideas. And I think that's really the challenge of teaching, right, is when you go into a classroom, I think the, the professional term now is um, classroom management, you know. But what is classroom management? It's the ability to take those 15 or 16 students in your class and and make them work together. Yeah. And so I think that the the next thing, so, you know, not just movement, but um, flexibility. The third thing is, you know, be aware of who your students are, which is a hard thing to do. You know, like Mm -hmm. we were just talking about, I didn't, you know, Tanya was making me mad because I didn't, <laughs> I didn't take the second to step back and realize who she was. <laughs> like, mm. Once you do that, you know, and, and movement and flexibility all help with those things. I think, you know, Bob Abramson said something really great once he said, if you can get a, a class that can move together, can work together, mm. you know? And I thought that was really great because it's true and it doesn't matter what subject you're teaching, you know? Um, it's very true. You know, if you can get those kids to move together, they start to sort of respect each other. And, um, you know, I tell another story in the book where I played the silly beanbag passing game. Yes, this group of I tough yeah. high school kids. And when I told them about the game at first, they all laughed. They're like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. And I'm like, well, then, let, you know, let's see you do it. It's more <laughs> yeah. or less what I It's right. terrible. You know? I do that game, too, with my kids. It's an epic disaster. <laughs> complete disaster right but then it and becomes it, so so successful when they can yeah. do it they're like by the third yes. class by the yeah. third class they can do it and and they're so proud of themselves yep. and it, it's it's wonderful but it's amazing to see the evolution of it right like they yeah. start to at first they say this is ridiculous of course we can do it <laughs> and then they can't do it and they get mad and then they realize wait a minute we have to talk to each other and communicate together and figure it out you know, and be aware of, you know, like at one point in the class, the game, you know, getting the beanbag around to 15 kids, they realized that in the circle that they had created, this girl next to that guy was not gonna work. So they had to, you know, make her shift her spot. So it was actually the class, working together as a class outside of the beanbag game, Mm -hmm. you know? That's great. So this, this silly little game, yeah. So all of a sudden, you know, what seems like a quote unquote ridiculous game, you know, and I said to them when they finally got it, I said, you know, this is what playing music is like. Mm-hmm. You have to talk to each other and you have to listen to each other and you got to move together. And, well, Patrick, you know, what I tell you what I, what so, I really liked about your book mm-hmm. and I liked it a great deal about it, but is, is it's, it's a topic that I don't think we, that I've not read in a, in a book you know, to this point, which is zooming out from the arrhythmics practice to the broader picture of education. 
and and yeah. even more that you know into the broader impact on children's lives beyond music right so we had an episode of this podcast called mm -hmm. beyond music or you know more than music and we talk about this a lot it's not something i'm interested in lauren's interested in it you know it's like this idea yeah. that you know your rhythmics you know, yes it's it's this education through music right and right. so you know this is very specifically what you're talking about here right is that these principles have broader application and um you know, I think it's a, I think it's something that people need to hear, man. And so I'm glad you wrote well, and the book. I just want to put a plug in. If you are a listener and maybe you have not done any training before and you're hearing us talk about this and you're like, I want some of that. I want to be able to be flexible and adapt to my environment. Like now's the time there, are, there are summer programs all over, like get online and, and find one that works for you. And and um, even if it's not, you know, three weeks, as as Patrick has talked about doing, you know, a longer summer program, um, I, I guarantee even if you spend one day at a workshop that it will it will really change your thinking. So, Without a doubt. And, yeah. you know, I mean, go to the, the, the Dow Crow Society of America website because okay. there's a lot of great resources there, too. You know, absolutely. Um, DowCrowsUSA.org, people. <laughs> so Patrick, <laughs> we always have to we always have yeah. to share our resources. That's right. Um, and Patrick, if our listeners wanted to find your book, where can they find your book? It is well, of course, it's on Amazon. Mm -hmm. It's on uh, it's it's on um, Barnes and Noble website as well. Great. Um, it's also um, I know it's available. I can't. Remember, this is terrible, but I can't remember the name of the big online book retailer in Canada. Sure. Uh, through them. Well, I, I think as long as our listeners search the title, which again is yeah. um, Finding the Flow, How Dalcross Rhythmics and a New Approach to Music Education Can Improve Public Schools by Patrick Saria. Yeah. And uh, as long as you search that, I think you should be able to find it. I recommend it. it. Right? I recommend yeah. it to the listeners. If you haven't read the book, you should. It's a, <laughs> it's a good read. It's got It's very broad. It covers a lot of topics. I think there's something in there for you. So um, buy Patrick's book. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And Patrick, thank you so much for coming on and spending no, some thanks. time with me and Anthony. And it was we've awesome. Loved, we've loved having this conversation with you. I love the new Del Crozian. I've listened to every episode installment oh. at least twice. Wow. Yeah, oh my we, goodness. We, we need to come up with a name nice. for the new Del Crozian fans. Um, you yeah. know, like mm. we need like we need like a, a, a title. I, I I haven't thought of a good one yet. So if anyone has a name. <laughs> To call to, that, that, that they should the fans Love should it. call themselves, and that way we can refer to the fans yeah. as a monolith. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's great. What you guys are doing is awesome. You know, this is such a oh, great thank you way to just reach people and and expand the community. So, you know, I think that's. Yeah. We all want to do that. So. Well, yeah, we're we're just trying cool, to spread man. the word, man, and uh, <laughs> uh, we, uh, you know, we're believers in in the uh, the good that this work can do, and uh, and uh, yeah. we think uh, that that celebrating teachers like you who are doing good work and uh, allowing you a platform to share that work with the community, I think, is um, you know such a gift. Anthony, we can't end this week's episode without a quick shout out to my dad. It's my dad's birthday this week. My dad is someone who has always supported me in my musical pursuits from the time I was very young and just starting piano lessons uh, through college and onward. And I just really appreciate that, Dad. Happy birthday. Thanks for listening. The New Dalcrozian is a production of Hellero Creation. Email us at thenewdalcrozian at gmail.com. Rate and review on your podcast app. Follow us on Facebook. 